Welcome to Aussie Ambitions Podcast, where we meet with everyday Aussies that are pushing ahead with their goals and ambitions in life. Join your host, Scott Robert Springer, to explore the future of entrepreneurship, work-life balance, and reaching beyond your comfort zone. So stay tuned for some tips on living life the Aussie way. All right, welcome to the Aussie Ambitions Podcast. We've got our guest today. I'm very excited to learn about the world of strength and conditioning, especially what's going on here in Australia. We've got our guest today, Brandon Kane. How are you, Brandon? Really good, thank you. Excellent. So he's with us just to cover, um, really to give us some insights into lots of different things. Uh, Just in our chat earlier, we were talking about clients he's worked with in AFL, which is a sport here in Australia, Mm -hmm. um, both the men's and women's uh, code. Uh, There's performance training, which sort of relates to, I think, a lot of the listeners out there and how we can all benefit from that. Um, But yeah, like there's going to be a clear difference between, say, personal training, personal trainers, uh, and maybe perhaps the next level, which is more of an athletic coach and some of the things that go along with that mental state, um, maybe a complete and holistic individualized Mm -hmm. approach. So I'm going to just hear from Brandon a little bit to tell us a bit about Maybe let's hear about where he comes from. Where, where are you from, Brandon? Uh, Brisbane, Australia originally. Okay. And been on the Gold Coast for the past 25 years. All right. And so not too far. <laughs> and you are an owner of a local um, performance center, is that yes, right? I'm, yes, I'm my own company, yes. BCSE. Okay. Uh, operated and owned on the Gold Coast. Okay. And how long have you been at that? Uh, four years now, since in 2021. I think maybe four years, yeah. Okay. And is it an interesting time to be owning a... Uh, Sort of a gym-based location? <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. In times like this, it's very hard owning a gym, like so many other um, businessmen out there who own any health practices found it really hard. Um, but yeah, he's got to try and adapt and try and get through this tough stage as possible. Eh? Okay. So we had a look at uh, the BCSC website there just for a little yep. bit, and we've looked at, uh, we're looking at a few different areas. Obviously, athletes have mm-hmm. ambition, yes. and they're working through their personal journeys and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say you've got clients that are on a fairly aggressive, uh, ambitious uh, trajectory? Like, are these people that are pursuing elite status sport? Oh, most definitely, yeah. Or, or mostly, you know, 95% of athletes that I train are all wanting to get to the next stage or, or have dreams to get to a professional stage if that's being drafted or, you know... Yeah, just try and get as high as they can, really. And obviously for all athletes, that's not the case, whether that's just making their club senior team and getting paid a couple hundred dollars a week on top of their uh, weekly wage is a great way of um, living as well and okay. also achieving their dreams as well. And what um, what stage of the career are they at when they're when they're looking for some additional support? Like, Is it early age or the young, younger or uh, later? You're finding it more now. Um, Younger athletes are being a lot more aware of their bodies. Um, in the days we li- you know, we live in now, with more podcasts and social media, we all can see what the professional athletes are really doing. Whereas when I was a youngster, I had no idea what they did. I don't know if they ice bath, how many times they train. Unless you're in an elite program, then you find that out. Um, so yeah, you're definitely getting a lot more youthful youth athletes come through and want to train. But from about age thirteen to fourteen is when you start training, but you do a lot of you know, a lot more band resistance training with them since they're still growing. You still can, you still can do weight training with them. That's a bit of a. A lot of people say you can't weight train a young athlete, or that stunts their um, platelets, their growth platelets. But um, you know, research has come back saying that that's not entirely true. Obviously, you're not going to get a little 14, 15 year old kid do a hundred kilo trap bar deadlift or anything. But 
you can um, add a, a resistance training aspect to that. And that is definitely, um, it's definitely really good for them. Okay. Uh, and so there would be a mix of uh, both male and female yep. athletes. Yep. Is there uh, a different timing of the age and when you might, I guess, um, pursue a bit more of a physical regime? Like, an, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is mm. there a, a difference between a male regime and a female regime? Well, when they get to like teenagers, um, women uh, tend to develop earlier than males. Um, that's where you kind of get like year seven, a lot more girls that tend to be a bit taller than uh, males, but not really, to be honest. Um, everyone's very different and indiv individualized. Some people grow later on in life or develop earlier or later than others. So it's just really down to the athlete in terms of their age, regardless of their gender. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then are there, when you're working with people, is it more on the longer term or is it yeah, more definitely. of a, what's yeah. that timeline look like? Yeah, it comes back to the athlete as well. Um, cause I, I coach multiple athletes, you know, my oldest athlete I've trained is 27. So, you know, so they've got maybe five to eight years left of their, you know, peak performance. Um, but yeah, it just really, it again, comes down to that, um, athlete as okay. well and what they really want to work on. Um, but yeah. For longevity, they always want to make the highest level possible because they're really driven. Um, but yeah, they're definitely it's 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 very individualized. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you might hear that from me too many times today, but it's frustrating. <laughs> no, I think I mean I can definitely understand that's. Um, I would imagine that's the best way to get results, right? Is you're, yeah. you're sort of listening to the combination of well, definitely your the body, how they're feeling. Yep. Um, is it mental? Is there an element of mental? Preparation uh, to that? Oh, definitely. Um, more more keen than anything I, I focus on in my business um, is mental training. Um, just really sitting down with them in a consultation before I even they pick up any equipment is finding out what makes them tick, what drives them. And, you know, a lot of people might want to get bigger, faster, stronger, put on 10 kilos, you know, make look good, feel good sort of thing on the field. That's great. Um, but really delving into what makes them tick why is that the case and sometimes i've had athletes cry you know get really emotional about um things that happen to them in situations in life and it's, it's why they are driven for greatness as, as far as high as they can go um and once you know your athlete um you can it's a lot it's so easy to train them because you know what makes them tick can you push them hard enough do you is this a an athlete that if you push hard or have a goal at them in a constructive way, it should never be in a negative way. It should always be in a constructive way. Um, sometimes they they respond really well or don't. And I think as a coach, you, it's really important, more paramount than anything, to find out what makes them tick. And then from there, it's pretty easy all, all the way, you know, instead of getting just programs and that. That's, that's stage two. Okay. Number one is to find out what makes them tick why they want this because that comes with longevity most athletes come to you they already know what they kind of want but they and even sometimes themselves they don't even know why they want it and that's that realization for them mm -hmm. and that's a real powerful moment as well that's i'm glad that you starting to get in this picture of the the mental state of mm. like what it takes obviously there's different sports are we talking about one sport in particular or are you across a few different sports across multiple sports yeah i'm I'm specialized in AFL because I myself played AFL since I was five. Very fortunate from a very young age and developments, making a lot of teams on the Gold Coast as high as, you know, Lions Academy, uh, going to Queensland. Um, so I was very 
very fortunate to be shown um, very early on what it takes or what it perhaps is what you can do the best as you can as a youth athlete to try and get to that next stage. Um, but yeah. <laughs> is there like, are there points along the way where people will help people along the way? Obviously if you're a, if you're a kid growing up, you, you mm. like the sport, you kind of play, but then there's a level of, okay, we're going to go next level with this, like mm. performance wise. Um, are there a lot of, I guess, uh, performance coaching support is there a lot of performance co coaching support out there like say the, the coach of the team for example mm -hmm. would he have a network of people saying all right we're gonna we're gonna coach this help this guy build his uh, his vertical say like let's say mm -hmm. jumping's like a skill that you need to enhance that to be honest not really a lot of junior clubs don't really have the resources to do that um and because depending on what team you have is different you have a tennis player because it's very in it's individual but when you or a coach, say at a local team, you're not getting paid for it, um, and you're volunteering your time two, three times or two times training. Then, on top of other commitments you got to do and planning and other forms of committee, it, it is very hard for them to do that. So, there'll be coaches out there that have um, networking. You know, go, I'll go to this gym or you know this person to help speed. Um, my myself, I don't see a lot of that in those uh, grassroots level. You get that more when you get into academies. They tend to touch on that a bit, uh, but even still, it's not probably not as much as um, some athletes may want. So if you want, if you're an AFL player or soccer player, you just want to improve your sprint times or trialing or whatever, um, you you'd go to a sprint coach for that. Um, but yet again, there's a lot of academies out there that do. Uh, do parts of that but for they won't teach anything really like in full like break down everything they'll do the best they can especially in the academies but grass grassroots is very hard okay and it is and it's very hard for athletes if you don't if you're not one of those academies it is very hard you've got to outsource so people like myself or other other coaches out there which there are if you find them but obviously you want to find quality as well so you're looking to almost would you consider would you accelerate you'd identify people that could benefit from your program and your training and mm -hmm. you'd get to them as early as possible. Is that the idea? Just to kind of oh, definitely like not any, delay? Yeah. Well, if any athlete, every athlete in some way, shape or form wants to get better, um, comes down to that, the, the athlete as well. Some people are really, really open-minded about that stuff. Some people aren't. Some people just think, oh, well, the academies will teach me that this is what it takes. Um, sometimes that's not the case. So it's not one shoe fits all sort of thing. Um, that's why there's a lot of great coaches out there who have a lot to offer to athletes. Mm. But yeah, across multiple sports, um, yeah, I deal with a lot of athletes across multiple ranges of sports, across mo many ages. Okay. And it's like I said um, earlier, I'll touch on again, it yeah. depends on what the athlete needs. So if it's a, say if it's a 15-year-old girl who plays soccer, Say she's a left back, okay? So she's probably obviously a left footer. Now we've got to work on her stability, her defense, um, vision, because obviously they're in the back of the field. They need to find, they need to obviously read the play well. When to attack, if they're an attacking left back, do they defend? You know, there's so many different things. So you'd be like, okay, agility training, sprint training, and durability training would be great for you. Like just, it depends. You train your athlete depending on what they're, bodies respond to and what sport they play. You don't, you wouldn't train an AFL player to be a boxer. So you're like, oh, you go to boxing three times a week. It's great cardio, generalized cardio, sure. But is that going to 100% transfer to on-field performance? Probably not. Mm -hmm. You know, so 
the best thing to do is to try and do as much training as possible for that sport. But there's athletes out there that um, I've got a couple of girls as well that play AFL and also one's an MMA fighter and one is also a rugby sevens girl. So it, it can get hard um, at times to train them um, accordingly to the sport, yeah. but you just go do the best as possible um, with what you've got really yeah. and then just – Hope for the best. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that you mentioned the, the different sports because, again, mm. uh, soccer would be very popular worldwide. Oh, uh, definitely, yeah. It's the number one sport in the world in terms of numbers and watched yeah, around the right. world. Um, you've got – and then – but here in Australia, you've got different codes of, mm -hmm. I guess, say, football. Yeah, uh, AFL is number one, then rugby league is second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just say there's two. And then mm. – but the, sport, the game itself is different, different dynamics. So yep. speed would be priority in one. Maybe more brute strength and like mm. you know slamming into each other would be more of the other code. Yeah. Can you just give us the the, the quick you know sure. the quick summary for people out there so they can just sure. start looking into it? Uh, pretty much, if you want to be an AFL player, you got to be great in every great in every area. You got to have strength. You got to have muscular endurance. You got to have speed, agility. It's a three sixty game. So unlike NFL, you throw a ball straight and then that's it. You know, you you're always looking straight, or if you're a defender, straight or behind sometimes. Whereas AFL, you can get tackled 360. So it's like basketball, except being tackled. Okay. So any yeah, people around uh, the world that don't understand what a sh uh, AFL is, I'll definitely watch it. It's a great game. Uh, fast, high, um, impact. It's crazy, you know, and there's no pads. There's nothing else like it in the world. Like the only thing is probably Gaelic football, which they play in Ireland, but they use a soccer ball and have uh, a soccer goal as well. Mm -hmm. And you were an AFL, you were, you were pursuing AFL I was, growing yeah. Up. Yeah. yeah, I was AFL, yeah. Uh, was there any interest to cross over? Uh, there's some talk about that locally, about athletes who mm -hmm. crossed over the code. So the other leagues are rugby league, which is more of a, a yeah, traditional rugby. rugby. Yeah, rugby league. Definitely New South Wales is where it's massive. Uh, and Queensland for when I was growing up, uh, rugby league with the Broncos was just huge, absolutely huge. There was not many pathways back in the early 2000s for um, AFL. Um, I would always get bullied like, oh, it's a – uh, it's a it's a weak game, or you know, there's probably things like folk can't say out here. But yeah, um, I got I got a lot of flack for it. Okay. Um, playing it, like oh, it's you know, oh, you don't tackle, they don't tackle. I'm like, yeah, they do. It's three sixty instead of running straight up. But yet again, like running straight up into a hundred twenty kilo person is very tough. So it's it, both sports are very different. But across Australia, it's uh, AFL is number one, and then number two is rugby league. Yeah. And then the third one would be rugby union, which is more perhaps more international. Yeah, it's more international. You'd say it. Yeah, it's very hard these days. Like union was very sought after in Australia early two thousands, um, and then kind of died down a bit. Um, but there's still there's still a big following. But yet again, the best in terms of union would have to be like Super fourteen or sixteen or the the Super Series they have you know all across um, New Zealand mm. like it's just number one over there like they don't even barely even watch the Warriors like they do on a right it's okay it's all about the All Blacks and that just shows such an amazing culture from grassroots all the way out to professional you can just see like this if you watch anything about the All Blacks um, no matter who they are you know Dan Carter or Richie McCaw they would always lead obviously they don't play anymore they're retired. But ever since then, like their culture, if they would go overseas um, and they go into the visitor's locker room, they would clean up every single bit. There would not be one scrap of dirt or a cup or a Gatorade bottle on the ground. You know, however you come into that um, environment is how you leave. 
And that just shows a lot about a culture. Whereas it's okay to celebrate and do everything, but also just clean up after yourself. And that just, and that shows a lot about that culture, which I think a lot of sporting clubs should, you know, have a part of their club as well. There's a lot of clubs out there that do. Okay. That's interesting. Cause obviously there's a few things there. Like you mentioned the All Blacks, New Zealand, Mm -hmm. National, um, Mm -hmm. the Australian equivalent, the Wallabies, right? Yep. Um, yeah, the Wolves. Uh, so I'm more familiar with that, but in the AFL mm. world, is there a national level AFL team? That you're no, aware? they don't. They don't have it anymore. They they have they have all Australian, but they don't play anyone. If they do, it's um it's the, in the Gaelic series. They haven't done it in a while. Um, but yeah, they'll have, they'll have their um all Australian team to face um the Irish in Gaelic football, and sometimes they go over to Ireland. They normally. Just do it like every day is rotated every year, like one year in Ireland, next year in Australia, but that's kind of died down as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've tried, they've, AFL tried multiple um, areas of sport, um, or sorry, different types of um, co- uh, uh, kind of like cricket games of AFL. Like you've seen with cricket, they've done, you know, the big bash because everyone these days wants action packed sport, like just consistently. And sometimes in AFL, like it is always up and going it's a great sport to watch it's better to watch live than on tv because you can't see on every you can't see everything um but that's afl tried afl x and it kind of died down within two years oh that's interesting but like the, the best one would be afl nines and that's play more grassroots but there's no and that that would just be grassroots but there's no other national team in australia they they used to play state of origin which back then because it was mostly mainly south australian versus victorian teams and they would play and that, and that was really big. And then it kind of died down because a lot of players didn't want to put their body in harm's way as well. And I guess um, maybe financially, it was, I think it was another one as well. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I do know that some players, the high up players, don't want to play um, in those series just in case their body. Mm. And you see that across the world all the time. Like in the NBA, they have the all-star game. Like last year was really good, but most of the time it's just no defense. It's it's different to like when Michael Jordan played. It was always just they're at each other's threats. They want to see who's the best and push each other. At the moment, it hasn't really been like that, except last year's because they changed it up. So they put a community. It was, for, oh no, it was, it was from a couple of foundations. Like LeBron chose one foundation, Giannis chose one, and then they verse and whoever got to 125 points or whatever it was, won it. And giving them a goal, attainable goal for not just themselves, showed a lot more action. So, yeah, AFL have tried a couple of forms, but haven't really hit that um, their stride yet in that area. Yeah, but it's that, a very, it's a very strong, it's a very strong game to watch anyway. But in terms of internationally, they're trying to f- find other types of situate like games you could play without having play like a full AFL game. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly like. Within borders here in Australia, it's it's very mm. much alive. You got, mm. um, and it's sort of city based. So you've got Brisbane. Brisbane's got a team. Gold Coast got a team. Yeah, um, pretty much all the major cities would have. Yeah, one. Except everyone Sydney's has one. Everyone, every state has uh, in, in Australia has one, except for Northern Territory and Tasmania. Tasmania is trying to get a team right now, but it's that I reckon maybe in maybe a couple of years they probably will get one. But obviously, due to you know the crisis at the moment, it's like expansion would be very hard financially because there's a lot of teams out there that um are very are being looked after by the afl and obviously the afl doesn't want them to fold so that it's hard like do you do you relocate a team do you have another one but yeah every other every other queensland has two new south wales has two 
Victoria has eight, South Australia have two, WA have two. Interesting. So the AFL, AFL has positioned themselves very well all across Australia, whereas NRL have, geez, I don't know, like 10 to 12 teams in New South Wales or whatever it is. I think it's eight to 10 or something like that. I'm not I'm entirely sure. Two in Queensland, one in Victoria. That's it. Mm. So it's, AFL is very, very smartly uh, put themselves into a strong position Yeah. in that way in terms of Australia. That's interesting. I mean, that, that's actually a really quite a neat little cultural piece there that we covered a, li- a bit of on a tangent yeah. away from what you do on a daily basis. But I, right. um, it's helpful, I think, just to understand the you know the sporting aspect of the culture and mm. um, you know how it how it's present on a day to day basis. Really, like um, in in terms of the opportunity for you and a bit of the the talent pool coming up. Mm. So, would people aspire to work to be on their local team? So, you got the people yeah. that you're working for. Are they aspiring to represent? say Gold Coast or Brisbane? Yeah, it depends on their sport. If I was just to talk just and play them of AFL, um, you have your club, you just have your club team you play for. Um, they 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 make it well known. There's there's scouts out there for say South Coast would be like the next one and then Suns Academy after that. And then after Suns Academy, if you go high, you go Queensland and then you'd verse different states. Uh, but they all they all scout their players from grassroots and see who's coming through and they do like open days like you can go down and put your name down and just trial and that's they put you through a series of tests and obviously just that's probably a better way of um of their time to find players and it's probably instead of hiring someone going out and just watching games mm-hmm. whereas they just get everyone at the same location and they can just test everyone yeah. but yet again sometimes and they will look at games but sometimes it is very hard you can have athletes that test very well athletes that play really well as well so that's it's very it's very hard, mm. you know. I know very I know so many athletes that are very talented, but they not, may not be the quickest or the tallest, and that might be a lot more sought after in AFL. You know, a midfielder in AFL is about one hundred and ninety five centimeters now, so it's getting pretty tall. Obviously, to bigger than a lot of NFL wide receivers are like five eleven, maybe six foot, and running backs. But compared to like NBA players who are like you know five, oh sorry five six ten and six eight, and that that's ridiculous height you know right but yeah it's yeah in terms of grassroots um for them that would be the stages to go through would just be playing the club be scouted or go to these open days and just put your best foot forward okay and then just do your best but it can be hard for athletes who don't test well yeah it makes sense yeah um the the world of professional sports here and and aspiring to be a professional athlete uh, mm-hmm. i wonder if it's actually either more accessible than say like a like in the US, mm. there's, there's a lot of money at stake. Mm-hmm. As in, it's almost like winning the lottery. If you can get to that first tier, you're already, you know, yeah. in the millions. And yeah, but here, fair to say, that's not the case. It's not a financially driven no, thing. No, like it. No, not as much as it is in say NBA or NFL. Like if you're in an NFL draft of the first top ten picks, if you lift number one, you get allocated this much amount of money. So if normally it's a quarterback or a defensive end or someone that is a higher value, whatever they deem is you know, position-wise is uh, most valuable. Where, you know, that's different. They can look after their families for life pretty much. You know, where in Australia, we don't have that sort of money yet, but it is getting there. Television rights, you know, Fox Sports paying like $1.4 billion for three, four years for te- television rights. So it is getting there eventually. Like more players are getting higher high end players, I think maybe $1.2 million a year which is crazy in terms of Australia because we haven't really had that sort of money. NRL players don't get that much. Like you have a couple or you have a couple of players, sorry, that are probably getting about 1.1, maybe 1.2 million a year that are halfbacks. 
Um, but yeah, definitely in the future, we'll get to that stage of more money when the sport generates more uh, money. But um, yeah, well, it's, 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 it's not like we're the States where you get that much money. Like when you get drafted, normally you're, you're on a base salary of about anywhere between sixty dollars to $80,000, depending on where you're drafted. If you're top 10, you'd probably just under $100,000, I would say. And then obviously you do, you, they normally do like maybe a two or three year contract. And if, obviously, if you're if you're an amazing player and in the first year light it up like on the Gold Coast, uh, Matthew Rao absolutely lit it up within, I think it was less than 10 games or something he played and he got injured. Son's already immediately signing up for like a three, four-year deal. Like this guy's going to be a star. But yeah, wow. it's soon soon it'll be like that, but not for, not for at least maybe a five, 10 years at least. And then you see that in the women's game as well. So AFLW, um, 2021 is the first year that um, to go watch them play, you've got to pay. Which I thought, um, which is amazing in the women's field, but obviously there's a lot of work to get there as well because I know I have a lot of athletes in AFLW and a, a lot of girls that want to aspire to be there, and they want they should be paid equal equal pay as well. But it is a brand new sport; it will take some time to get there. But you know they're building a really strong brand pretty quickly, and especially around the world, um, it's cutting edge. Like it's. There's no other sport around the world that is growing as fast as AFLW. Like, you, like maybe besides maybe the US soccer team, women's obviously did really well in the last two mm -hmm. World Cups. Um, and obviously that's going to be driven uh, a lot more for participation. But paired to maybe like any other sport, like NFL, there's no there's no career really unless you it's like lingerie football, right. which is people laugh at, but it is actually pretty hectic what they do in terms of like uh, – you know, their gameplay in that. But people it's, people kind of laugh at it because it's lingerie football, which is, you know, <laughs> it's an interesting take of it. But AFLW is really, really incredible space. And, and especially in Australia, um, kind of being number one in the world for that, showing that in terms of uh, the women's growth possession in becoming an athlete is pretty amazing. Yeah. But it won't take too long. Like I always thought maybe they should always go to games and just give like a dollar coin donation or whatever because people are very giving, but they didn't want to put anyone, they wanted participation for that sport because obviously harsh realities in business is money drives sport. You know, that's why cricket was going down. They said, okay, how can we make it more sexy for people to watch? What do people want to see? They want to see people get out and be bowled out or hitting sixes. Okay, let's hit as many balls as possible, as hard as you can. If you get out for 15, you're out for 15. They don't care. That's why the four-day tests, it's very hard to come up by four-day tests these days, unless it's like Australia, in, in India or England or something. It's a big rivalry. But if, it's a, if it was Pakistan, India, maybe it'd be great over there. But if Australians, unless you're a massive cricket lover, you probably wouldn't watch it. Like I wouldn't, but I'm not a massive cricket advocate so so in the sense of like being a traditional sport mm. they sort of said yeah that's the game but then you've got to look at the reality of the numbers here boys and then uh it, it's hard it's, it's a hard money. it's a harsh reality mm -hmm. um not saying it's right but yeah in the future you know aflw definitely will be getting like girls like it's hard for it's hard for them like a lot of people may not know this um most of the girls well actually all the girls have to work they're either studying they're working they've got families they've got children you know, and of course, when they get pregnant, they're out for at least a year. So then, like you have that, you have that around the world with WNBA and everything. Actually, WNBA would be very good with good obviously example. women. Yeah, good example for that. I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, um, it's very hard 
for them to succeed and obviously live off only getting maybe fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars for the season, even though it's maybe only maybe less than six months, but still, it's hard if you have a job. A lot of there's a lot of stories coming out like women like uh, a couple of paramedics and they've got to drive six like, a couple of hours of training. They got to train, they get back, that four hours sleep, and it's amazing what they they don't have the luxury and it's it's very hard, but. They're pioneers in their field as well. They'll get to the place where it will be, but unfortunately for the athletes that are playing now, they won't reap the benefits what the, what the girls of the grassroots will get now. But I guess in a way, if you'd ask any one of those women in their field, they say like, look, you're pioneers in that area. Would you be proud of that? They'll say yes. But yet again, they should be taken care of financially. So it's it's hard, you know? It's it's very hard. Like hard to, conversations like this are good because it yeah. certainly brings attention to it. Um, mm. Whether it's, well, exactly, and that's what they do. That's what they do. So it is good that the AFL has uh, got the AFLW people have to go pay to games. And I don't think uh, I think it'll definitely like population like attendance, not population attendance. The games should stay the same, if not, should better. I don't think it'll go down drastically because people got to pay like fifteen bucks, twenty bucks to go to a game. I don't think. That would be the case. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it sounds like it's fastest growing, and and so perhaps in oh, a, definitely is. you know two years from now, five years from now, mm. um, it's growing every year. Every, like every year, every year, their contracts are getting more sizable with money, but it's nowhere near enough where they need it to be to be able to live off or you know set themselves up for life, sort of thing. Which you brought up before is in the states is you know you get that top ten draft pick or in that first round of first round of the draft, you on some good money. You know, on great money. Like a punter, like you see so many times now, like you have um, a lot of Australians that can kick long, they'll go and try and become a punter because they're getting anywhere between two to three million a year. And you're on the field, what, five seconds kicking the ball? There's not much risk unless you have a linebacker about to hit you. There's not much risk. So people go, well, financially, I could do this or do that. You One season in the NFL, you'd probably – accumulate the whole almost a whole lifetime of being an AFL player. Right. And being an AFL, you have a the average age of a athlete in that um being in the AFL is three years. So getting a couple hundred thousand to millions and not everyone should be driven by money, but you know, some people are and that's totally fine. But so, it, it's a it's a hard argument to have. Yeah that, that seems incredibly players. short. I mean obviously you compare lots of different sporting mm. aspects um and we're talking about a career. Maybe it's you can set yourself set yourself up with lots of different business type relationships, mm. but if you're truly in it for the athletics and the elite performance, mm. to be three year three years out of your whole lifespan, that's um, mm. that's like a, quite a big spike. Do you know what I mean? Like, like oh yeah, uh, to be able to even just mentally to like mm. to draw that on, and like, what do you do after that? You know? Yeah. Um, how does well, that's that, that's another one as well. Yeah, we can certainly. I want to make sure we get to that. Yeah. What exactly. I was just thinking is the trickle down. So if you get more money mm. into the sport, mm-hmm. um, and you're you're open to train and give these people uh, the coaching and the performance yeah. they need. Is it um, is there is more money in there? The athlete's pocket mean more more people that are going to come to you because otherwise they just couldn't afford the extra help. Or how does that how does it affect your daily sort of uh, mission? It's hard because not everyone, especially not everyone's financially, you know. Has a lot of finance, has a lot of money behind them, you know. And depending on every sport, it's very different, you know. If you're a golfer, you got to spend thousands, thousands of dollars to get a good set of clubs and coaching and everything. Whereas AFL is team sports, so it's not as um, 
financially, not as big as a financial burden. But for athletes or people that want to get more coaching or people that come to me, like it is very hard because something like everyone's different financially. Some people do have a bit of money behind them. Some people don't but they still want that goal. So it, it can be hard. But for me, like I do help out my athletes a lot. Like if they can't, like if they can only afford this much amount of money, I'll, I'll set up like a payment plan. Like I don't care when I get paid as long as I get paid for doing the job, you know. I want to try and help them as much as possible. Um, yeah, it, it can be very hard at times, but you do also don't want to <laughs> – I don't, I don't drive anyone away from – the financial aspect because that, that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is working with people that want to get to that uh, goal um, and I'll try and help them as much as possible. Mm. But yeah, like I do want to be paid for my worth and my time, but I'm not going to send someone away because like I can only afford $40 for the session. Like, yeah, well, sorry, that's not enough, but like, oh, can we work out it? Can we work out something or Let's um okay well let me give you you about you buy programs off me you come in once every couple of weeks or something in the gym which is obviously not as much um, money to pay me uh, to pay obviously to whatever their whatever their financial means is so I try and work with them I say okay can you do this at home or can you is there a gym you can go to for free or whatever the case is I try and work that out with them and show them ways there's other ways you can get the same amount of training it just may not be as much with me in person. And I think that's really important as well, not just being like, oh, no, sorry, that's not enough money, bye. You know? so, and, then, and then in the future, it's like you know, they might have that finance, they might have that money. And then they'll come back to you and they'll say, wow, this person actually gave me the time and effort to help me out when maybe I wasn't financially great. Now you do have that and then obviously they're going to be very loyal. Mm. And, that's, and then that's not a bad thing. You, know? like you want to have your athletes or clients be as loyal to you as possible. You know, but a lot of people, I just feel like some trainers tend to forget that. And it is very easy to forget that, especially online. And you see the numbers and you're more worrying about, oh, look at how much money I'm accumulating and that. And they do. I'm not saying they don't care about their clients or athletes, but just from personally me, I just feel like um, you do need to have that interaction with them. Sure, sure. Look, I think um, what you've highlighted is that, you know, you're in a space where you have you can see the opportunity. And, and if it's a fast-growing space where mm. um, a particular sport is there's going to have more talent more people coming in yep um and there's more people that could benefit from peak performance mm. uh, coaching and everything and then it's sort of who's gonna how can you possibly help everyone so it sounds like you have to be a little yeah. bit selective on you, how many people you could actually help with yeah. the transformation is that right yeah yeah so i only train max with 20 athletes a year um obviously i i coach I try not to coach every day. It depends on the athlete. Like I've had athletes that come to me like, Brian, I really want to train with you. Um, I can't train throughout the week because they've got – it's hard for them as well. They've got club training. If they play another sport, they've got training. You know, sometimes it can be too much training. And I'm like, okay, well, what can we do? What can we work with? Is it just a recovery program or try and get them um, training as much as possible? And you want to try and work with clubs as much as possible, but sometimes that's not the case. And – you know, I definitely look after the athlete as much as possible rather than just like a team. You know, I'm not looking after a corporate team or anything. I'm looking after my business, but my main focus is athletes. So, yeah, I try and put all my time and effort into them Okay, for that. But, yeah, it can be hard. Um, and just thinking that, you know, the knowledge that you have could benefit people beyond the geographic area, right? There can be lots of people that um, could follow advice and mm. even just um, – 
you know, it's really coaching, right? So coaching can be yep. delivered in a few different ways. Yeah, definitely. With the whole wave of, you know, people having to spend more time online and, and not being able to move around as much, have you, um, do you think that model works? Like, is coaching effective yeah. online versus yeah. in person? It can. Like, it definitely can. It just depends on what you're selling and what, what your business is about. You know, there's, a, there's heaps of people out there. I've got a friend who um, actually specializes in men's, you might laugh at this, but he actually specializes in men's uh, booty gains. And he does very well for himself. Like he was in Sydney clearing about, I think it was more than $1,000 per week after rent. Like he was doing very well for himself. Um, and working with, you know, that sort of area, you know, obviously you do need to look mechanically, you know, like mechanically with their bodies and that, but, you know, Sorry, he, he does pretty well. Just to say, this is glute, glutes? Yeah, yeah, glutes, yeah. He All works right. with, yeah, he, he tra like male transform, uh, transform, sorry, to um, and it's getting glutes, yeah, like getting massive. So it's strength. But getting, it's getting a peach, yeah. Mainly the shape, <laughs> all right? And the, yeah. The good old Aussie bum. Yeah, yeah Aussie bum, yeah. That's actually not too bad. But yeah, there you go. Uh, look, yeah, so that. But that it, it is hard. It, it, it's. You can, there is definitely a space for it, and um, I'm trying to as best as possible to try and go in that area, but not losing that integrity of my business and being in person. And I think no matter where everything's going more online and everything these days, you're still going to have to go to a professional. Like, you're not going to go to, a, you know, you're not gonna, if you're going to see a physical for a doctor, you're not going to be able to do it online unless it's all robotics, which might be the might be the might be the thing in so many amount of years where the world's going these days, but. In terms of athletes, um, you're always going to have an area where you have to work in person. Mm. So, it, like I said, it depends on what your business model is. Um, but for me, uh, I would definitely prefer working with athletes in person, not one-on-one. -on -one. I don't normally train one-on-one. -on -one. It's small business individualized group training where everyone has got their own programs that I've looked very in-depth with their bodies, finding out their muscular balances to work on. And they just work on their program because normally when athletes come to me, they've got some either coming back from rehabilitation, like a knee or an ankle or shoulder or whatever the case, or scoliosis. I've got quite a few of those actually and have to work with. Um, and I have my um, medical team that I have. So physios, recovery centers, naturopaths, everything like that. So if there's somewhere, something I go, well, all the time I always send it out to my specialist because I trust them. You know, I'm not a naturopath. I'm not a physio. I'm not going to guess with someone's body. When someone puts their life pretty much in their hands and their body, which is a big thing, which I think a lot of people tend to forget when you're going to someone like a physio, you know, you want people, you know, you want results, obviously. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud and I have my physio team that does an amazing job with athletes, all, all of them do, but it's not about the money. It's actually looking after the athlete mm -hmm. at the end of the day. But yeah, it's... um. That's what I try to work on with all my athletes in a sense is just really finding out what they need paired to just getting bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. Well, I think if we look back to the maybe the theme about people are trying to get from where they are and excel or, or mm -hmm. get to that next level, um, there can be ways of getting there. You can put in the hard work. Mm -hmm. uh, there can be temptations to fast track the process yep. um, through technology or through mm -hmm. other means. <clears throat> through knowledge, through touching up to experts and yeah, just getting the best recommendations you can. Mm -hmm. But you um, should always do that anyway. With and if you ever have any injuries, you should always go to if you don't if you don't have a specific 
specialist, which most people don't. If you haven't done an ankle, if you haven't done an ankle, you don't have an ankle specialist. Normally, you are you get you ask your team or the whoever you're with um, academy wise, and they normally have a person. But you just got to find out what work. There's multiple options. Some I've had some physios say, "Oh no, you're fine. Do this," or some physios say, "Actually, no, you have to go get an MRI." And, but it's you're putting, like I said, you're putting your body into other people's hands. You want to make sure that they know what they're talking about and they actually care about you, not just themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real big talking point as well. Because myself went through that phase. I in my journey of AFL didn't make it because of um, I'm not going to say because I didn't make it because of ankle reconstructions, but definitely. Um, very sharply stopped my um, career very quickly. Um, got it redone, ankle reconstruction, left-hand side, just uh, what I have, arthroscopy and ligament tightening. Came back, came back a bit too early, had to have another touch-up surgery, had to have another arthroscopy. They found in my right ankle actually had a <laughs> couple of ligaments issues there, so I had both of them redone. Came back and absolutely, and I, my body just couldn't fire. And at that stage, I was trying to get into Queensland and they said, oh, well, you know, you're injured, come back next year. Didn't hear anything from them until a year. They said, oh, here's the date. Came back, totally underdone, not not fit or anything, ready to go because my ankles just weren't firing um, and there was no help. There was just, okay, that was it. You didn't get the side. Uh, we wish the best for you because they're not going to put their they're not going to put the time or invest in an athlete that's not going to be in their system, which is a harsh reality. I understand that, but it is also pretty harsh for an athlete to come to grips with that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it can be a very dark and dangerous road mentally from a kid that idolizes Brisbane Lions, from a kid you know having everything everything Brisbane Lions knowing every player or every team and on their stats and that to not watching it for two years or sorry, one year going on two years is pretty, pretty significant. And no matter what you do, like I just hated AFL. Didn't want anything to do with it because it just really annoyed me because it's something, it was a goal that I couldn't attain. I spent my whole life trying to attain that goal. And unfortunately it wasn't my journey. Um, it's a reason why I'm a coach. That's not the be all and end all. The reason why I'm a coach is just to help athletes give them that realization that it's not all amazing. It is a business at the end of the day and you have to look after yourself, be a part of the team, do the team things, um, put yourself out there as much as possible. Um, everyone's different. People are shy. People are very different. But I think it's a very big thing that every athlete should know, um, just look after themselves as well. Like take that time and get your body right. You know, like, because there's a lot of pressure, like, oh, you got to come back for this game or this fest, you know, like, you know, you got to come back for the final series and you might be a real big integral part of that team. And you may not be like, oh, I don't want to upset the team, but I I need to kind of look after myself. And sometimes, you know, especially in, in junior football, you have um, uh, yeah, people obviously talking to your ear and saying, oh, you're soft or you come on, man, like you come on play and that and you kind of be egged on to play. And then if you do that, you're putting yourself at risk. And every athlete should be okay with that, like saying no. You know, don't, don't, don't just you know adhere to that peer pressure. But also, um, yeah, like don't don't sit on the sidelines and just do nothing. Like look after yourself. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a very hard thing for any athlete to go through, especially when they're injured, because you want to make sure the injury goes well and rehabs properly. But a lot of statistics out there show. 
you know, if you do a, if you do a hamstring anymore, like you're more inclined to redo it again because it's such a, it's an interesting little, um, it's an interesting part of the body of the hamstring, especially you have problems with it. For sure. So you'd have, again, the really, a, you'd see people at their best and you'd probably get a picture of them when they, when they're struggling as well. And, uh, yep. is it, do you feel like there's support needed there as well? Like if you're helping them with the physical side, mm -hmm. um, you're obviously aware of all the pieces, but mm -hmm. like, like you said, there's probably a network of specialists, but mm -hmm. um, do you see people, are they just coping with it themselves or do you see people, uh, do teams have support for that kind of thing saying, look. Uh, teams do have health and wellness offices they? or they have their own different names for them. Um, without naming names, um, I definitely know quite a few athletes that one of my, I know an athlete per, very personally to me that um, had anxiety attacks going to games. Mm -hmm. um, this person didn't uh, tell the team, so it's not the team's entire fault, but I definitely think across sport in Australia and the world, um, we talk about a lot more about, you know, mental health and sports, whether that's coming back from injury or being far away from family or whatever the case is. Um, we talk about it, but there's not really a massive solution for it. If you talk to any AFL player, rugby league player, whatever the sport is, and they've, whether they get, they get delisted or dropped due to an injury or not performing high enough. Um, you know, I personally know multiple athletes that have been at the highest teams that you can go in AFL and their exit interviews were four minutes. That's pretty, uh, it's not enough to digest what's no, going on, not. is it? And then they, that athlete is stuck going, what do I do next? Especially if there's an athlete that doesn't have a trade, they don't know what they want to do. Um, so it's really important for athletes out there to find that balance and find other interests that interest them. Like the AFL is really good. Um, when you get drafted, you have to be either working or you have to be studying something. So that's something that's really good. Um, I'm not sure about rugby league. I'm not too sure. I can't, I can't say, I can't comment on that or other sports, but I do know AFL definitely do that. Um, so obviously just so they know, because they learned very early on, um, if you get delisted, it's like, what do I do now? So it's a bridge. It's sort of like yeah. give yourself a base. Exactly. You know, come and excel, but yeah. then build yourself exactly. a bridge. Get because I felt, you know, you might be a coach. You might be an analyst. You might be whatever. You might love the game so much. Um, a lot of, you see a lot more and more players do this now. They just become an assistant coach or they become coaches in the future because they just see, see the game for how it is. Um, but for a lot of people, that's not the case, especially if you're not a massive star. Um, and you're at, you're at the, you're at AFL within three years and you kind of have like, oh, I'm doing like a marketing degree, but then that may not be an area you might want to do. Like it, it is very hard, but you just got to have that balance and not have a plan B, but you've always just got to be working on other things. That's a, that's definitely something we're going to watch. I and mean, we may have some guests on that have actually gone through mm. that. It'd be interesting to see if we can get that firsthand perspective. Mm. Right. But I, I would feel like the community would welcome a candidate that, you know, that says a lot, like an athlete that's gone through that. So to be able to, you can also imagine they could apply themselves in an organization or mm. take their work as serious as their, as their sport, you yeah. know? So I feel like culturally, um, I do feel there's a place for, for those athletes, whether or not they want to be doing that kind of work or not mm. is a totally, maybe a different game. But, um, anyway, there was another thing I just wanted to mm -hmm. circle back to, which was elite performance often has you know, there's the natural way yep. and then there's the enhanced way. 
Okay, yeah. Oh, and there's technology. So <laughs> yep. there's sort of the um, technology that's endorsed and it's, you know, through the, uh, might be cryo uh, recovery or, you know, some yep. ways of, it's a level playing field and there's others that are unknown and sort of this, this unknown space. I'm thinking of like mixed martial arts or um, maybe a, Olympic sports, there's doping for cycling yeah. and things yeah, like so that. Yes, I mean, enhance obviously taking performance, enhancing drugs. Yeah, and, and it, it benefits you in different ways. Is that something that crossed your path at all? I mean, you're, you're talking about early age, so I can't imagine mm -hmm. it's it's there. But even mm -hmm. in, even as a in the industry, do you see those things coming into play at a high level? Uh, in terms of athletes just wanting to try different things in terms of not besides the enhanced way, um, but like in terms of like cryotherapy and obviously technologies and we'll start with recovery the performance. Stuff. Okay, legal stuff. We'll start with legal stuff. That's yeah. great. <laughs> uh, myself, I was never really um, ever really put into a position where I wanted to try anything performance enhancing. doesn't really happen in a lot of team sports um, at all. Um, that would more come under the individual – um, sports like your MMA or people or maybe tennis, like like individual sports. You uh -huh. more have that sort of thing. Um, I'm not saying that I'm sure. I don't know. I, I can't really comment on that in terms of like uh, team sports. But for myself, no. I definitely wasn't put forward or anything like that. Never even came across my mind. Um, but yeah, um, I, I did a lot of recovery stuff. We kind of learned from academies very early on, which is very contrast therapy, you know, ice spas and you know magnesium pools and that um which is really good um but as an athlete you just want to try and find what's best for you and i really practice and preach and really just go on about this massively like even through this podcast i've always said it's individual so no person will you know don't train just the same as your friend or something you'll have something different in your body or you respond better to a different style of training rehabilitation is exactly same in recovery so for myself i uh, respond really uh, well to uh, suction cups uh, contrast therapy so magnesium pools hot and cold and uh, saunas that's what i respond really well to but not everyone's the same everyone's built we've got different genetics uh, body types everything so hormone everything we're all we're all different so you just got to try and find out what's best for you and you just have to process illumination like i do normatec so um i'll just put in the normatec boots and then just try to see how that feels and it feels good um but it doesn't really work for me but i know many athletes that love it and they say oh it's amazing my body feels so much more relaxed and gets all lactic acid out and it's, it's amazing for me i say sweet um but yeah any if I was to say any advice to any athletes out there or any people going through any recovery, um, it's just got to try and find and find out what's best for you. you know, dry needling, you know, there's so many different things out there now. Like you, you brought cryotherapy um, or your um, uh, your CO2 chambers um, and everything as well. They, 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 they all have their place. Um, just depends on what you respond really well to. Okay. And, or what type of injury as well. It's depending on what type of recovery or rehabilitation you need. Okay. Techniques. Well, um, there's definitely, uh, we do have a few of those facilities here locally. So I think yep. we've got the quite a few. professional sports teams, but mm -hmm. even locals could go in and yeah, you know, anyone, if yeah. they're on a personal journey, they can uh, get in there and mm. um, again, experience it for themselves. And yeah. What I really love is the float tanks, which is really amazing. Uh, have you ever tried uh, float tanks before? I heard about them, but is it a physical recovery? Uh, it both. 
Um, the, like, like you spoke about before and what I have as well, um, mentally it's where it's going. Um, you know, mental recovery, like there's a tremor that I do as well. You put someone into a meditative state and they kind of actually shake and it actually draws out their past injuries. Like it's very in-depth conversation. I won't talk about it too much, but I guarantee within the next five, 10 years, you'll see these popping up even more and more. Um, I do with my athletes and they get some pretty good results out of it. Um, like neural training. Um, but yeah, this flotation tank. So it's being in like a, uh, a magnesium pool, except the salt is a lot more, um, it's a different type of salt and it's a lot better for, um, your system. So you just, you just literally float in a big tank. Uh, you just put a little, little floating, uh, float neck rest on. Um, and you just literally just relax there. People can fall asleep. You can just chill out there. You just float. But the, um, and it helps with a lot of different things, it helps with skin, you know, anxiety, um, heaps of different things, you know, and as, as people, not just athletes and people, we all have stressful lives. We'll have stress no matter what that is. Everyone's stressed about anything, you know, and you got to try to obviously keep that balance and keep yourself centered as much as possible in a holistic way. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go meditate a million things, but even if you just go float and it's hang for an hour, I think it pretty sure it generates like four to six hours extra sleep in your day. So anyone coming back from rehabilitation, you know, knee injury or ankle or so if you, if you can't sleep insomnia and suffer from anxiety, you know, you should definitely try this. And there's quite a few on the Gold Coast. Rigs have one. There's a flotation uh, company, um, flotation, flotation center. They are uh, at Burley as well. So there's quite a few of them and you'll see them more and more popping up. Very cool. Yeah, especially with sleep. Yeah, that's definitely a real big uh, area as well. People will get into as well. That's fantastic. You, you see a lot of um, uh, Olympic athletes. They'll actually take their own bed on tour with them because if you're sleeping in hotels, like you might have seen, like I just saw, I saw it today. Like they might be canceling the 2020, sorry, 2021 uh, Japan Olympics. Right. But I saw a room where it's like two single beds. And the beds look so, like, they just don't look exactly, like, they're not built for support 100%. A lot of, all those athletes will take their own posture bag or whatever and just roll it out. A lot of cyclists did that. Um, like a UK cyclist, Chris, I forgot Chris Jones, I forgot his last name, but he did that. But you just try and have as much edge as you can. Because if you have, like, if you think about it, if you just go towards competition and you didn't have a good sleep, you're not firing as being as best as you can. That's a disadvantage. So you want to have, especially in Olympic sports, there's ways you can enhance yourself legally instead of putting in drugs in your system. But you got to try and do as much as you can. And every athlete should do that. Yeah. So if you come to me, try and work on your body as much as possible. That's going to enhance you legally to get you to the, um, put yourself in the best position possible. But there's many other ways of doing that, recovery-wise and sleeping-wise and mentally-wise. Wonderful. Mm. Um, we've got some good points. I just wanted to get two things before we, we wrap up. One of the one that we chatted about earlier, which is mm. uh, essentially in the discipline of strength and conditioning, it's, uh, I think you mentioned it's functional neurology. Functional neurology, yep. Training. Yep. Could you just define that just quickly so we got that <laughs> out there? Because I, I feel like there's uh, maybe a level of education we can just fill people in on yeah, what that cool. is. So easy. So functional neurology, without having go in, in depth with trying to explain it. Um, our eyes are cameras, you know, so you got these, I have these um, synaptic strobe glasses that strobe. So everyone's been to parties where they, you know, they strobe, like you see something and then you don't. Exactly the same with these strobe glasses. If you take away high, half the vision what you're seeing, 
So if you throw a ball to me and I obviously my brain is so quick well, what we do because obviously it's our brain pattern and what we've learned from a very young age. But if you throw a ball at me, my eyes and my brain is processing the trajectory, the speed, and everything in that ball. You've got to react. So someone may not be <laughs> like a fumble, like someone may not be good at catching. They may just not have um, that type of training to um, <laughs> may just not be very good at that area, which they're not some, you know, kids are pretty mean, you know, saying that they can't, you know, they can't pick, catch a ball or something, you know, there's other ways of saying what I'm not going to say, but just like functional neurology is just being able to work on these areas and there's not many areas where you can do that. So it's just having control of your eyes. So these strobe glasses will flicker and then if you throw that ball, you're taking away half my vision, I've got to react quicker. So my reaction, the speed, everything, everything my eyes going to connect to my brain is processing you're taking away half that vision you're working it harder so if you use if you use this technology and there's many ways of doing it, that's just one way of doing it depending on what the athlete needs um but it's very easy to use is just being able to harness that and then once you use it for about 20 minutes and you take it off and then you'll just be you almost feel like spider-man you're just like quickly going everywhere you're just grabbing everything you have a lot um you have a lot better reaction times. And that comes with, that doesn't mean just catching a ball. That means reading the play quicker. So you can see, um, say, we'll go to AFL again. You're in the midfield and you're processing. We'll say, let's go a quarterback in NFL, okay? You're a quarterback. You hike the ball. You're looking at the whole field. You're scanning the field. You've got everything in control. You're the man, so to say. And if you see a lineman coming out, yeah, you go, oh, okay, I've got an audible, audible. And just having that brain, that um, – that process and you can um, you can um, react to that quicker, that's going to make you amazing. So I'd be really interested to see how Tom Brady's process is and reaction is. Like he's not the most gifted, is he? He was the last person in the draft. They laughed at him. Everyone's seen his before and like before picks when he was drafted. Now look at him. He's going today now into his, what, seventh or eighth Super Bowl or something or like being the GOAT status sort of thing. So it's an amazing technology, functionality. But, you know, it's everything. Like, that's even just like crossing a light or reacting when you're driving a car. Like, the, you can, there'll be a place for this just to the average Joe, in a sense. Fantastic. But it, it's, it's hard. I, I can go into much more in depth. I'm not, yeah, it's a bit hard to explain. It's oh, just right. pretty much just neurology training, training your brain to react quicker from your eyes um, and depth perception, pretty much. And that's very important in all sports that you do, especially contact, just reading the play. If you're 100% quicker, being able to mark a ball, then you're going to be a lot dangerous on the field and you'll be able to see the field in slow motion per se. Very cool. Yeah, mm. I hadn't hadn't heard of that myself, but I can definitely imagine mm. that could be universally beneficial, right? So oh, it definitely are, is. Yeah, um, they do a lot more in the States. Like a lot of wide receivers use it. Um, Steph Curry actually uses this, so I'd probably say that. So cool. Steph Curry will be bouncing a basketball one hand and look at his – he'll just he's, he'll be the best shooter, like three-point shooter ever because of his depth perception. So how you process everything, your eyes can process a small little target. It's just honing in on that smallest part, the, your eyes. And if, you're a, if your brain or eyes is out of whack just by, by a little bit, that's going to put your depth perception off. So you may not be a bad shooter. you just something neuro, uh, neurology-wise may not just not be exactly developed 100%. So there's a lot of space. But he'll just be bouncing a basketball, wearing the strobes, seeing half the vision and you can change it to however fast or slow you want. He'll be catching a tennis ball. Then you have these fit lights that come on, which time zone have these. It's called the speed of light. You just try and whenever the light 
uh, you know, lights up. You've just got to hit as quickly as possible. Same sort of thing. You'll be passing that, bang. You'll be doing multiple things at once, training your brain to do multiple things. And then once you have that, you know, you can pull off from halfway a lot more. <laughs> um, pull off from halfway and get a much more accurate shot. Yeah. So that's just one way in terms of saying like Stephen Curry – you can go on YouTube and actually find him wearing these glasses. Okay. Well, that'll so, be a fun one. That'll be a good one for people at home to, yeah. to to do a bit more research on and take that next level. So, and absolutely, if you want to come back and take us through that some other time, but there's uh, yeah, a amazing. whole world there. Um, oh, definitely. There's many, there's many different facets of training where, especially in Australia, that haven't had compared to the States. The States are definitely five to 10 years ahead of Australian um, high-performance sports okay. in terms of just like different types of training. For a specific, you know, okay. skill. Well, that being said, that's where I wanted to finish up. Is where where do you think we'll we'll find you in in you know in the future in terms of where you're headed? Um, you talked about high performance athletes. I yep. mean, would it be a scenario where you might pursue help? You know, seeing athletes to the ultimate level. So perhaps it's a, a team sport that mm -hmm. are going to the Olympics or on some kind of world stage. Like, are mm -hmm. you looking beyond Australia, or are you focusing on the the emerging talent and giving them the best opportunity? Oh, personally, I would love to go over to the States for a little bit and just learn as much as possible from people, like do some more courses, but just learn from people that have actually lived it um, and just try and take any anything away from them. I do that already. I do follow a lot of people. If it's like podcasts or just their videos they put up, I do learn a lot and communicate with them quite a bit. Um, but for myself, I definitely want to expand my business um, and take it to somewhere where Australia hasn't seen before and completing, you know, look, the, the complete athlete experience, you know. So I won't say too much about that, trying to keep that bit close to uh, <laughs> close to the chest. But, yeah, I would love to definitely – man, I would love to work for an NFL team or an NBA team. That would be pretty cool. But um, I definitely want to look after people in Australia um, and start here. And then if that takes me over to – the world stage, then so be it. That's cool. Brandon, really appreciate your time. That's no, thank you for having me. Great stories that came out there, guys. If you want to, uh, you know, certainly get involved in the discussion, we'll keep that forum open um, through the comments and uh, just follow along. If we want to catch Brandon in the future, where do we find you? Yeah, just go to my website, www.bcc.com.au, Instagram, bc.strengthconditioning. Um, yeah, so you'll be able to get in contact with us pretty easily there. Excellent. Appreciate your time, Brandon. We'll talk soon. Easy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Aussie Ambitions podcast. We appreciate your support and welcome your input. So if there is a topic that you would like to see covered, please let us know via our website, aussieambitions.com or any of our social media accounts. And please subscribe to receive all of our updates. We hope that you picked up some helpful tips helping you to get to where you want to go. And if you've got a story to tell and are able to come for a visit, definitely get in touch.